Hey, good morning and welcome to Faith on Hill's Sunday morning Bible study. Uh, let you know about a few things that are going on at our church. Uh, Wednesday, September 2nd, which I know it, it feels like summer just started, but we are almost to September. Wednesday, September 2nd, we are having uh, the third and final blood drive of the summer. Um, you can go to redcrossblood.org and sign up. Um, in fact, I'm recording this uh, Thursday morning. We're having our second blood drive today, so I'm going to record this, and then I will edit the video while I'm helping with the blood drive. Uh, so Wednesday the 2nd, uh, sign up at redcrossblood.org. encourage you to uh, help if you can. Also, uh, we've been doing Church in the Field all, and it's been great. We've been doing this the last couple months, but you know what? This morning, Thursday morning when I'm recording this, um, it rained, and we know that the church in the field in Oregon is not sustainable forever, and so uh, the Sunday after, the Sunday after Labor Day is the first Sunday that we will be back in our building for in-person services. We'll still be socially distant. Everyone's got to wear a mask, uh, we're going to do all the, the things that we're supposed to be doing, but that's going to be uh, happening then as well. Uh, mentioned this, uh, mentioned it last week that we had to purchase uh, a replacement HVAC equipment. Uh, we uh, had a furnace and an HVAC unit that had been uh, going for decades and gave up the ghost, and so uh, it's getting replaced in the next couple weeks. But um, fortunately, uh, we, by God's grace, are in a place uh, where the church can uh, take care of these things. But uh, if you want to help above and beyond your normal giving, uh, you are invited to do so um, and just, you know, mark HVAC or, or, or um, however you want to market facilities, and we'll know how to how to take care of that. Uh, we get, do our giving as a church. Uh, we prefer it online. Um, contactless these days is, of course, best. Uh, you can mail uh, your offering to the church as well. We don't make a big deal about money around here. Uh, we talk about it as an act of worship to God. We talk about it when it's in the part of the Bible we're studying or when it is an opportunity to be generous. And so I just want to let you know, hey, this is a facilities cost that the church had to take on. And uh, by God's grace, we're, we're able to, to deal with it, but make you aware of it and let the Lord guide as he will. Two more announcements. First is this coming Wednesday night, uh, our Conference of Churches, the Pacific Conference, is having an, a virtual online prayer time, and there will be links posted on all of our social media for that. Uh, so Wednesday night is the Pacific Conference prayer time. And then last night, um, the Council of Administration, which is sort of the leadership team uh, for our family of churches, uh, had a meeting, and I'm on that council, and Mark Harris, uh, who's a you know, key leader in our church, he is also on that council, and uh, we voted unanimously to hold our annual conference online instead of in person. It's usually uh, an in-person meeting over at uh, Valley View Church, but uh, this year it's going to be online, which I think is a good thing because uh, that means that the anybody that wants to can log in and see what's going on, and so uh, excited for that. Um, and that's uh, something just to be aware of, kind of keep in the back of your head in November. Hey, I've, I've got this opportunity to see how our family of churches uh, operates together. We're continuing to study the gospel of Mark this morning. 
I have over the years had many conversations where I am talking with a small group, two, three, four people, but it seems like only one person is doing the talking with me as sort of a, a ringleader, a leader of the gang, you know, and, and you have this conversation and often it's been about spiritual things. The first time I noticed this was on the first mission trip I went on in, in Russia, but I've seen it elsewhere. I've been on, I've been on airplane flights back, you know, back when we could do that. And I'd, I'd be talking to, to someone and, um, and then, you know, there was a third person in the row or there, you know, if I'm in the middle and I'm talking to somebody and then there's a person on the other side of me um, at coffee shops. I've, I've had this happen multiple, you know, f somewhat frequently over the years. And you have this conversation with one person, but there's like two or three other people there. And at the end of the conversation, I've turned not to the person I've been talking to, but the person who's been there the whole time. And I say, what do you think about what we've just been talking about? This morning, that's kind of what happened. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28, says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Who's debating? Well, for the past couple of weeks, we've studied this, how uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's around the temple. And first, the Pharisees and the Herodians came, and they tried to trip Jesus up over a political question. And then the Sadducees came, who were sort of the, the secular elites, and they came and they had a philosophical question, and they've been debating with Jesus. This teacher of the law that we just read about here is sort of like that person where Jesus has been talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians, and now he's turned and he's talking to this other person who was there, and it's almost like saying, so what do you think about all this? This is a little tip I have, just a little life, life tip. Often there are people that are not speaking with us. We're having a conversation, maybe like just a real conversation, or maybe it's an ongoing dialogue. Um, you know, we're, we're living our life with our neighbors or we're living our life with our family, but there are people who are off to the side and they are watching and they are examining and they haven't been directly part of the conversation, but they are there. Maybe it's your kids or your grandkids. Maybe uh, after church or, or, or after some spiritual conversation, you, you should turn to them and say, what do you think about that? Maybe it's your neighbor. Uh, maybe it's a friend. You know, maybe you, you've been going back and forth and there's somebody who's been there and they've been watching and they've been evaluating. And that's what's happening here. This teacher of the law has been examining Jesus. And it says, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him. He had been watching, he had been examining, and it says in verse 28 that he asked because he saw that Jesus was somebody worth listening to. One of the key concepts in, in the Christian faith is this idea of giving up our rights. It's a very un-American thought, but it's a very Christian thought. Jesus had the right to all of the glory and all of the honor and all of the majesty due to him as God. And yet the scripture tells us that he lowered himself, even lower than the angels when he 
became a human and walked among us. Jesus did not deserve to die. Jesus was arrested for no reason. It was unjust. It was immoral. And yet he submitted himself. He gave up his rights so that he could save us from our sins. I hear a lot of Christians talking about their rights. And I'm not making a comment about policy. I'm not making a, 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 a position on, on how uh, a, a policy or, or, or some kind of political question should be decided. But there are many, many Christians who are speaking about their rights. And what's the most, what's one of the core concepts of our Christian faith is giving up our rights, sacrificing. This guy saw Jesus and saw that he was somebody worth listening to. I believe personally, I, I believe that there are Christians and churches who are blowing their chance to be heard because they are so focused on their rights that they can't have patience and that they can't stop and say, is this worth it? Is this a hill that is worth dying on? Or will I lose my opportunity to be heard about what matters most? And that's the big idea today. What matters most? What's the most important thing? And so he asks this question, of all the commands, which is the most important? This guy's a teacher of the law. He's an academic. He's a scholar. All he does is sit around and think about the law. And he says, which one is the most important? There were at least 613 laws, commands, that observant Jews have to follow. At least. And the reason I say at least is this. There were 613 official commands. These are things in the Bible. There are uh, 365 prohibitions. Hey, don't do that. Do not steal. Do not murder. Do not lie. And then there's 248 positive commands. These are good things. You know, take care of the widow and the orphan. Uh, love God with all your heart. Um, these are all positive commands. So there's not all negative, right? But there's about 613 official commands. But then there's more than that, right? Because we know that not everything is written down. Some rules are just kind of known. Um, how a Christian is expected to live in Portland, Oregon, among the churches of Portland, Oregon, might look very different from how a church in Portland, Maine is supposed to operate. There are different cultural rules and expectations and, uh, in different regions and even um, you know, from one group of churches to another. So, so maybe there's 613 official commands, but there's like 20 extra family rules that he has to follow and a couple extra community rules. And so, so he's trying to figure out what's the most important. What matters most. And what does Jesus say? Verse 29, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. And then Jesus repeats what's called the, the Shammai. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
If you've been listening to the 20-minute Bible study podcast that we put out every Thursday, you'll know that um, whenever Lord is capitalized, all capitalized, it means Yahweh or Jehovah, the Tetragrammaton. They had taken the name of God and they removed all the vowels. So we don't actually know, should it be Yahweh? Should it be Jehovah? Um, I personally favor the, the Yahweh uh, pronunciation, but it doesn't matter. But it was the name of God. So, so what he's saying is, hear, O Israel, Yahweh, our God, Yahweh is one. So he's saying, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is God and there is no other. And there is only one God. And then he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Some of your translations will say the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Of the 613 official commands, and however many unofficial, unwritten, but expected cultural and family and, and, and all these extra rules you have to follow, what's the most important? And Jesus said, it's, there's one God. Love him with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Why is this the most important command? Matthew's gospel, in, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 40, he recounts these events and, and he records Jesus as saying this, all of the law and the prophets hang on these. The Bible is not just one book. It's a collection of 66 books written by over 40 authors over a 1,500-year time period. It's divided into two parts, what's called the Old and the New Testament. And the Old Testament is everything from the creation of the world leading up to the coming of Jesus. The New Testament is everything from the coming of Jesus until the end of the world. The law and the prophets. In the Old Testament, you have the law. Those are the first five books of the Bible the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The prophets are the writing of the prophets, the uh, you know, Isaiah, and Daniel, Elijah, and Ezekiel, 1st and 2nd Samuel. Um, they would have also included, you know, the, the history books, uh, Kings and 1st, uh, 2nd Kings, and Psalms and Proverbs. These would have been in there. But it's this idea when they say the law and the prophets, they're, they're saying, it's like if we were to say in the New Testament, we have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then we have the Epistles, which is the, the letters that the apostles wrote to churches. But he is saying everything in the Bible, whether it's the, the uh, law, the theology, or it's the narrative, the stories, all of them hang on this idea, the most important thing, that there is one God and we must love him with all of who we are. And we must love people as if we're loving ourselves. Every law is based on this. No idols. That's one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not have any false gods. No idols. Because if you have a false god, then you are not loving the one and true God with all that you are. Thou shall not murder. Why? Because if you're murdering, then you are not loving others. You are taking 
Every rule, every law, and you can go through it. Every law, every rule, every command in the Bible hinges on this idea that we are loving God and that we are loving people. What matters most to us? And it occurred to me that whatever our faith hangs on, that is going to determine how we are messaging to the world around us. Whatever our faith is based on, whatever our, our faith hangs on, the foundation of our faith will determine our message. What matters most to us will determine how we speak to this world. What mattered most in God's word, and, and, and if Jesus is saying this is what's most important, then it's what's most important, is to love God and to love people. But if my faith is based on moralism, then I will message not loving God and loving people, but I will message, do this, do that, look a certain way, keep the party line, don't step out of line, and that is what our faith is. If my faith is based off of an experience, then I will only message the experience. Uh, you know, what's, what is your faith about? Oh, my faith is about this feeling, about this warmth, about this. But what happens when you don't have the feeling? What happens when you don't always toe the line and you look right? Moralism will fail you. Experience will fail you. What matters most is what messages us. And maybe it's not even how you're saved. Because there are plenty of people that say, how are you saved? Well, I'm only saved by faith in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of my sins. Okay. How are you accepted? Oh, that's a whole other thing. Because we can believe that somebody's saved by faith but how is somebody accepted? Oh, and then we find out that what matters most isn't belief, it isn't faith, it's belonging. How do you belong in a church community? And you have to look a certain way. And I'm sorry, you don't fit our vibe, so you don't belong. Oh, because that's what matters most. And that's not loving people. Love God, love God people. I've heard too many stories of, of people not being accepted, not because of, of anything other than we don't want that type of person in our church, but they love Jesus. They're a Christian. Yeah, they can go to another church. They can go to the church where the minorities go. They can go to the church where the poor people go. They can go to church where the rich people go, because there are churches Blue-collar churches, working-class churches, and they do not want white-collar, upper-middle-class people in them. They'll never say it, but discrimination goes both ways. And I've spent most of my life among blue-collar people, but I went to school with, with white-collar, upper-middle-class kids. And I know that the, the discrimination can go both ways. What matters most will determine our messaging. If loving God is what matters most, then that's what we will message to the outside world. If moralism is what matters most, if experience is what matters most, if tribalism is what matters most, that's what we will message. And that is not the gospel. Whatever our faith hangs on will determine our messaging. The message that Jesus brought was a message of hope, a message of grace, of peace, of power, and life change. I believe, I believe this. 
I believe that there are things, I believe that there are things that, that should cancel a person. I believe that. I believe that there are, a, there are views that should not allow a person a place in public life. Uh, I do not believe that, that uh, somebody like David Duke, former head of the Ku Klux Klan, and a known racist, uh, white supremacist, Holocaust denier, I do not believe that he should be given a platform. I do believe that there are people who have such hateful views that they should not be allowed the attention that they want. Um, there are people that, that are just wicked people that crave attention. Think of Charles Manson. I, that's just the name that came to mind. Somebody who is wicked, who just wants attention. But the problem with cancel culture is that it, it never takes into account the idea that somebody could change, that somebody could repent, that, that somebody could have been going one way and then a change happened. That's troubling. The message that Jesus brings is one of powerful life change. Jesus didn't just go to the cross for, for just the, the fun of it. It was a terrible thing. It was a horrible thing. But Jesus went and he suffered and he died and he rose again to build a bridge between God and people. And it's through Jesus' death and resurrection that we have that connection with God. And what matters most is the message of Jesus that he will forgive our sins, that he will give us his Holy Spirit so that we do not have to continue, but we can be changed. What matters most, what, what our faith hangs on, that's going to determine our messaging. And I say this all the time. If you come to church for any other reason than Jesus, you will be disappointed. If you come to church because you want some kind of community, people will let you down. If you come to church because you think it'll help you get ahead in society, uh, that's not the case anymore. But there's also a flip side to that. If the church brings anything other than Jesus, we are going to disappoint people. What matters most? Love God and love people. Now there is a question. Verse 33, or sorry, verse 32. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, there's a question that comes up with that. If loving God is more important, he says, than all burnt offerings and sacrifices, that is um, all of the temple worship that the, uh, God's people would have observed, all of the um, holy ordinances that God had, had prescribed for his people. And, and this religious teacher, this scholar says, yes, you're right, Jesus. That is what matters most. I think there's a question that comes up then. If I just love God, and I, I love God, and if I just love people, oh, people are great. I love people. Why does it matter what else I do? Why does it matter what else I do? I actually think that's one of the central questions being asked right now of the Christian faith. 
Why do you care what I do? Why do you care what I do? Whether it's in my public actions or my private life, why do you care what I do? First of all, if you're not a Christian, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus, if you don't have a saving faith, if you haven't had the Holy Spirit come into your life, I don't expect you to act like a Christian. Cultural Christianity, if it's not completely gone, it's going away. And I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. I was watching uh, Remember the Titans. I showed that movie to my boys, and I was struck how Christian civil rights were. I also don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that Christian culture is going away because it makes it obvious who's for Jesus and who isn't. But if we bring anything other than Jesus, we're going to disappoint people. If you come for anything other than Jesus, you're going to disappoint people. But why does it matter? Why does it matter? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with your soul, with your heart, your mind, with all your strength. Because there are a lot of people that say, oh, I love God. It's in my mind, my heart, I just love God so much. And they've never given their strength. They've never put skin in the game. They've never stood up and, and put their hands to work for God's kingdom, for Jesus' mission. There are people who are hard workers and they're always doing stuff. They're super involved in church. They're super involved at their kids' school. They're super involved in their community. And they're always doing things. And everybody says, oh, look at all the things that they do. But on the inside, they, they aren't loving God with their heart. They're, they're maybe doing it out of selfish reasons or, or um, guilt reasons. Or, or There's all kinds of reasons why people do stuff. And then you, you get to know them and you find out they're just an unloving person because they're not doing things with their strength because they love God. They're doing them for some other reason. They're not doing things with their strength because they want to love people, but they're doing things so that people will love them. So when we say, why does it matter what I do? Well, okay, it ultimately somewhat doesn't. God's grace is huge. God's grace is huge. At the same time, it totally matters what I do. Because if I want to love God with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength, but I don't love my neighbor, then I'm not loving God. If I want to love God with all my heart and my soul and my mind, but I never put my strength, then I'm not loving God. If I want to love my neighbor as myself, but I don't care about a neighbor from a different ethnicity or a neighbor from a different uh, economic situation, then I'm not loving people. If I do all sorts of things for other people, but I don't care about my own family, then I'm not loving people. Why does it matter? This is an issue of faith a little bit. We have to, in faith, choose to believe that what God says is for our good. And if God sets about standards 
and commands, then I have to trust that it's for my good and it's for your good. The problem with the religious hypocrites in Jesus' day was that they kept a bunch of rules to look good on the outside, but on the inside, they were full of it. On the inside, they were liars. On the inside, they were hateful. On the outside, it looked great, but on the inside, it was rotten. The problem with the, uh, the secular, the hedonists in Jesus' day, just as in our day, is that they didn't even care how the outside was. They didn't care how they were towards others. They didn't care how they were towards themselves. And as we're learning what we do affects others, what we do affects others. And Jesus hears this man's response. And in verse 34, it says, When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And then from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. First of all, I want to start with the end of that. It is a bummer when people stop asking God questions. It's a tragedy. You have doubts, you have uncertainties. Don't stop asking God questions. But Jesus said to this man, you are not far from the kingdom of God. James Brooks is a a Bible scholar, commentator. He said this, by saying that he was not far, Jesus encouraged him to go the remainder of the way by wholeheartedly following Jesus. Whether he did so cannot be known, but every reader of Mark hopes so. We don't know the end of this man, but like Brooks says, we all hope that he did, that he went all the way, that he fully entered the kingdom of God. And that's the question. There there is a kingdom, God's kingdom, that Jesus is bringing to this world. And he has bridged the gap between God and man through his death and his resurrection. That every evil, every sin, every selfishness, every failure that I have ever committed, that you have ever done, can be wiped away because of what Jesus did. And Jesus says to this man, you are not far from the kingdom, but you got to go all the way. Some of us, are far, but Jesus is inviting you in. Some of us are close. Maybe you've gone to church for years. Maybe you've been around faith for years, but you have to move beyond to moving in, to enter the kingdom. It's one thing to say, oh, I I believe in God. Really? The Lord is one. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man? Has God the Holy Spirit entered your life and begun the work of changing you to be more like Jesus? Do you have right relationship with God the Father because of Jesus and his death and resurrection, paying the price for our sins and bringing us new life? Are you far? Are you near? Or are you in? The invitation is to come into God's kingdom, to turn away from this world. Now, Even some of us who are in, sometimes it's like we're looking out and kind of wanting to go back or wanting to bring stuff from the outside in. God's kingdom, God's kingdom, God's kingdom, Jesus' work, Jesus' mission, Jesus' life change. If we come to church for any other reason than Jesus, we will be disappointed. If we, as a church, bring the world anything other than Jesus, we're going to disappoint them. 
Let's not disappoint people. Amen? Let's not be disappointed. Jesus has never failed me. Jesus has never let me down. And wherever, whenever you are watching this right now, if you cry out to God, God will hear you. God, I don't love you, but I want to. I know that you love me. Help me to love you with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength. And I don't love my neighbor as myself. I admit that I have uh, prejudice against people of a different ethnicity. I admit that I, I have disdain for people of a certain economic status. I admit that I, I hate and, I, and I, am, I am an enmity towards my neighbor who votes differently than me. Jesus, forgive me. Help me to love God. Help me to love people. And I can't do it on my own and you can't do it on your own, but God, through the Holy Spirit in my life, in your life, changes us and makes us more like Jesus. And we can rest in that. Today, tomorrow, and always. Amen.